0: Chasing Leviathan is a podcast about pursuing truth one big question at a time through the discipline of listening. Truth is too big to tame, but if we pay close attention, we might get the chance to glimpse something truly magnificent. So please join me in this pursuit one week at a time. Hello and welcome to Chasing Leviathan. I'm your host, PJ Weary, and I'm here today with Dr. Anat Matar. We are talking about her book, The Poverty of Ethics, and she is the senior lecturer at the Department of Philosophy at Tel Aviv University. Uh, Dr. Matar, wonderful to have you today.
1: I'm very happy to be here. Thank you very much.
0: So just to get us uh, started, why this book? uh and i mean even as we were talking earlier like there's there's so much here and it is a um yeah, a timely book even again but uh for our audience why the poverty of ethics
1: okay well actually the book originates from two two sources one is purely philosophical the other is my activist part which is it takes takes a lot of my time uh and Somehow, the merge of these two uh resulted in in this book, and I think the activist part influenced the the academic part uh, in the way that I became annoyed more and more throughout the years by by the ethical discourse by and large i mean by people who address themselves to to morality they you know take the moral high ground they 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 are talking about evil, and good, and good persons, and good deeds, and whatever, but they are not active in any way, and I live in Israel, I mean, this is not the place not to be active, I mean, I, I don't know whether there is any such place, but Israel is certainly not one, I mean, as we are talking, Israel is bombarding Gaza, Palestinian children, (laughs) <laughs> were killed in the last in the last week i think six or seven of them really young children and this is all our country is doing and i don't think you can on the one hand talk you know very nicely and and politely and with, with assurance about ethical ethical measures ethical principles whatever and and then not do not being involved in anything and moreover, those people are when you approach them with this with this uh, complaint, they become aggressive. They 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 blame you for being you know the the non ethical, not enough ethical, or being biased, or being too political, or being loyal to a party which I'm not. I mean, I you know, I vote for the Communist Party, but and, which is a Palestinian party mainly in Israel, but. But this is not my i mean my ethical political stance by and large is this does not influence me i don't abide by any any rule book uh, of the of of the party so it's really i mean this annoyance which is as you can hear is both is both political but also really philosophical uh and and academic this is that's the the long answer to the question why this book
0: uh, and I, I see. You know, you're, you're kind of drawing from Wittgenstein. How has uh, Wittgenstein's influence and even your response and critique to him uh, influent, uh informed this book?
1: Yeah, that's a very. Good, I'm very happy about this question because Wittgenstein is exactly the kind of figure that ethical philosophers uh, lean on, and I understand why. I think the the Rightly so, in a way, I deal in the book very extensively with the philosophy of Cora Diamond, who's a brilliant philosopher. She writes wonderfully, and I think she reads Wittgenstein very carefully and nicely, and maybe more faithfully than I do. Uh, <laughs> and but so, so maybe he was, you know, an ethical uh, quote unquote uh, person, but. I think I can I can get a lot more for Wittgenstein than this liberal ethics that she does and other other Wittgensteinian philosophers do. I mean they're so happy with the with the goodness in a way, which somehow results miraculously in you know, the most shallow liberal <laughs> liberal attitude. That, you know, it's it's such a deep philosophy ends up in you know, just being a good person and attending to one another and being sensitive and yes, I mean there are very very nice results as well, like not following principles very harshly, which I I concur with, um, not being obsessed with analytical definitions of the good, of the ethical, of the political, and you know, and just. Deriving, deriving your art, what what you ought to do from from a generalized principle, that is very Wittgensteinian. I mean, the resistance to this, and that is nice. I I I go along with this, but I think at the end, when you follow this route too too closely, and maybe as Wittgenstein maybe did, uh, then as I said, you you end up not being political enough and I think not being ethical enough because I think ethics derives from politics or leftist politics and rather than vice versa. So, but then, why Wittgenstein at all? Uh, and I think, I think that Wittgenstein, along with others, I mention in the book mainly two. There are others, but mainly two. One of them is um, Voloshinov, who was uh, a Marxist philosopher a Soviet philosopher and uh he wrote a book about Marxist philosophy of language and and he's i think he managed to show in a very beautiful way very exact very precise way uh how language is is imbued with ideology, and that we When we when we are required to to address ourselves to you know to be sensitive to the principles, the linguistic principles, the way the operations of language, we need to attend to to the ideology that is conveyed implicitly. And I think he showed that very nicely. And Wittgenstein doesn't say a word about about that. And the third one is is Jacques Derrida. And I think David was of course aware I mean politics was his uh his bread and butter um and he did unlike me, he wasn't vegan, so I suppose he, and he was French, so I suppose butter was part of his menu <laughs> but um <laughs> uh, what- what I mean is he 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 shows this Voloshinovian um, principle in another manner, and that is in the way that language can be attacked. Not is not always you know, is not always neatly ideological, but also is 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 full of contradictions, and that is wonderful. And the role of Wittgenstein in this triad is by showing how I think best, uh, by showing how we live in language, how we act in language, how we cannot separate linguistic principles and linguistic understanding from our way of being, from our experiences, from the way we are educated, the books we read, the, the, our community. Uh, so it's, I, I think he showed it best. I, I don't know any philosopher who did that better, so
0: absolutely um yeah i i've i still find wittgenstein's account of language to be one of the best if not the best that i've read um something that you've mentioned and uh this is just to make sure that i'm on the same track with you it's almost what you're it sounds like you're saying is wittgenstein talked a lot uh and really clearly demonstrated a lot about language uh especially in like you know you like To think about his metaphor of the game, right, like language games. But what he didn't do is ask who's running the game. Yes, exactly. Right, like we talk about the like that that missing the ideological component um, and how that ideological spread happens.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, there's there's one one exception to this. It is when he talks about you know mature persons bringing into language children, you know, about teachers and, mm and you know. Uh, he has those many metaphors of the teacher and the schoolboy or schoolgirl. He doesn't think of schoolgirl, but, but we do. Uh, so, uh, so as we should. There are those metaphors in, exactly in the way, in, in those places that you refer to, You know, in, in language games, in the question of rule following and how we bring people into, into our language, into our game, and how we initiate the young. And I think he's very sensitive to this. I think he describes that wonderfully, but again, without thinking of the notion of power that comes along with that.
0: Yes, uh, that reminds me of the, uh, he has lectures uh, that and uh, conversations about aesthetics, and he talks about how the beautiful is derived from the good, and the good is derived, um, and we just don't think about the pedagogy of this. Uh literally we give a child some food and we want them to eat it and we go, mmm, good. Yeah. And from there we then distinguish beauty. And it's it is, that's how it's taught. It really is. We don't think about how basic it is, how it starts from these very simple experiences. But what he doesn't do is he is like, when we start giving these to children at this impressionable age, we are progressing. Um we are progressing so uh, into clear systems of, of power and um, the, these clear ideological systems. Um, and it, it, this is where I think, you know, um, you I know, want to ask yeah, kind of a sideways... Let me just
1: interrupt in, in, in a second, because yeah. he came from an aristocratic family, of course, and he was aware of that, yeah. <laughs> and he wasn't happy about that. But mm. he was, I, I don't think he really managed to, to, to separate himself as, as much as he would want perhaps from the education that he got which comes to show i mean exactly exactly his own principle he, he, you can't really overcome your your the education as much as you want to and so he was sensitive to that but i don't think sensitive enough to the aristocratic attitude that he himself had
0: you know i um before we go too far i do want to address your motivation for writing this book and one, how much it resonates with me i hope it resonates with me um I, I there is a real frustration um i i don't mind moral uh moralizing that has a conclusion in mind already I, I do believe in moral intuitions right like that we're like okay um you know i talked to dr francis beckwith about this he's like it's okay to have an argument for like torturing children is wrong right like however we need to defend that right that's that's a good moral intuition um but uh what's very frustrating and i think this is I again trying to make sure i'm tracking with you but i so often see uh ethics as instead of uh justifying real moral intuitions justifying ease justifying comfort when you talk about this kind of like shallow liberal ethic it's uh it's astonishing, you know, I'll put that in air quotes, some sarcasm there, how comfortable people's ethics can make them, right? It's like all of a sudden it like, exactly. uh, it's like, wow, it's astonishing how like you came to this conclusion that let you live your life the way you wanted to. And there's this focus on ease. And a lot of times we're not willing to make hard decisions. And so we find ways to justify not making uh, sacrificial decisions on our own part
1: yeah I'm not that happy with the sacrificial part i i don't think so okay. <laughs> i don't think I, I'm serious actually because I don't think this should be the measure i mean I'm very much for happy politics and and you know joyful joyful actions as much as we can and and you know so it, it's not i don't think a question of sacrifice, but I do think that you know being being too easy with, with oneself and one one society especially. And again, I'm speaking as you know as a privileged Israeli Jewish citizen here in the days, in a week, that Palestinian children weren't tortured. Some of them were, some of them are still are still wounded, but some dead. I mean, five-year-old, seven-year-old just died a couple of days ago. And I see the Israeli society and it's not. It's it's coming from all classes, and you know it. It, it covers the whole of the, almost all of the the Jewish population in Israel. They justify this, and they justify they so they would accept. I'm sure, the the general principle of not torturing or not killing children. Of course, of course, they're against, and and they would say you know when you open a discussion with them exactly about this. They say, of course, we are against killing children, but we had no choice. But they are the children of a, you know, of, of our enemy, and what can we do? I mean, we had to kill this enemy, and they they, they share their lives with him, and they they live in the same apartment, and that, that there was no choice. So, I mean, this it's so easy, I think, to find justification derived derived from, you know, very very. Mild or, or, or consensual principles and then something that we all agree to that you, you can defend yourself, that you know killing kill, killing innocent persons are, is wrong, but you can if there's no choice and if you have to defend yourself, then you may kill you know it's, that, that, and there is all this theory that is gradually built and leads eventually to the killing of those children. And this is something I resist wholeheartedly. I mean, it, it, it's not, and, and this, this is tied to the, the, what we were just talking about Wittgenstein actually. And what we get from Wittgenstein is, is a refusal to go this this way, you know, in, ju- in justifying through, through principles and theories and, and going to the abstract rather than seeing what, what we have in front of us. But the question is then, how do we see? And, and Wittgenstein talks about and, and teaches us how to be sensitive, but he doesn't, as I said, he, doesn't, he himself is not sensitive enough to the political or ideological part that sensitivity plays in our, in our life. So without being political, politically sensitive, you really cannot be sensitive at all. This is what my book is about, actually.
0: Yes, Uh, 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 and kind of a sideways question here, but I think it it will dovetail nicely with what you just said. Um, Why did you write this book in Hebrew?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a difficult question. I hesitated myself, but I was thinking more when I wrote it. I was thinking more about my political community than my, my academic community. And I was writing it for them, in a way, and actually they do read it. My first readers, when the book <laughs> came out, when the book came out in Hebrew, uh, were my fellow fellow you know, demonstrators and, and people uh, from Anarchists Against the Wall and, you know, all these groups that I, I'm involved with. Uh, so that was, it paid. I mean, <laughs> I mean, they were really the first ones to to comment, Uh, but it was also a gesture against academic literature, against academic writing, and I found that it would be easier for me to detach myself from academic writing in Hebrew rather than in English, maybe because English is not my first language, or maybe because English is my academic language. I mean, when do I write in English? I mean, I write in Hebrew in all sorts of all sorts of contexts. I write in English mainly in academic context. And I wanted to detach myself. I didn't want this text to be another philosophy book or another academic book.
0: And, I, and I, so the the tie-in um, that I'm hoping for there is that you you're talking about the... You, you For you, this is primarily about um, politics goes all the way down. And that... Uh, you're co- that all of our actions are grounded in in our community in our community first you know um and you know I, I i loved your introduction about um i'm gonna i'm gonna butcher this uh writing uh in the in the theater um oh i can't remember the name of the the place forgive me
1: in jeffa um yeah
0: Jaffa. thank you um <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I, was, I was trying to find it here. I should have written it down. But um, and, and you're explaining uh, about this. Uh, can you kind of sketch for our audience your the way that you view the political sphere? Like, what do you consider politics?
1: yeah. That's the hardest question, actually, apart from the question "What is left," which which is even harder. <laughs> <laughs> but of course, yes, they're, yeah, yeah, they're interconnected, of course. But yeah, I I think of the political in in our context vis-à-vis the moral or the ethical. So I, I'll just say a word about the moral or the ethical, and then I think the political will be understood better. Uh, and 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 it, it it also continues what we just talked about, because when I think about moral or ethical discourses, they have to do with either principle, generalized principles, and what follows or supposed to be following uh, from them, or ethical sensitivities and being a good person or being evil. Uh, And all this is very, very abstract. And the political for me is, first of all, not abstract. It's first of all concrete it's an understanding that goes as as you said you know all the way down but materially so i'm actually thinking as a marxist on 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 uh, on politics i i think that you know the fact that philosophy and moral discourses and ethical justifications do their best to avoid the economic discourse for example or any empirical discourse actually historical discourses Tiny data, uh, the, the, all the, the rich information that they want to bracket. I think the political brings it back. I mean, you cannot talk about uh, that. This is the example I, I discuss, uh, as you surely know, uh, very, very at length uh, in the book, is the abolition uh, and all the discourse about slavery. When when it comes to philosophers, it becomes a question of of principles, what, what were the principles of convincing, of persuading for and against, you know, all that, and not about the revolt. I mean, the, the, everyone forgets about, you know, the revolt of the slaves themselves. And, and I think it is not a coincidence because those philosophers who are, first of all, interested in the ethical justification of, of, of the abolition, they're thinking about themselves. I think they're thinking about white persons, privileged white person, maybe the intelligentsia, yeah, or, you know, and how we should react to, to, to the reality of slavery. What position should we, should we do? But they never think of themselves as the slaves themselves. I mean, or as black persons, or, you know, as or the oppressed person, or as Palestinians in, in my, context so it's just a question of us you know and the us this us is very privileged very white and oops sorry for that um and uh and uh, so the political for me is bringing that that awareness back did that Um. answer your question
0: yeah, I think uh, yes, that answers it uh, in part. I'd love to see uh, if you don't mind. Can you talk a little bit more about how politics and community? Do you see those terms as equivalent, or do you? What is the connection between uh, what you think of as uh, communal activities or the community itself and politics? Okay,
1: uh, let's start with community. I think uh, this this is where I go along with the Wittgensteinians and Wittgenstein himself. Uh, As we said, I think we we, we cannot be individualized. We cannot abolish society as Margaret Thatcher did. I mean, there's no such thing as society, famously she said, and uh, no, there is such thing as society and we we are part of it. And we we are born in our community, in our family, in a class, in a gender, You know, and, 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 and what we are, is, is, is all that I reflect all that reflect our community this is where we get our notions our values our, our value judgment in aesthetics in ethics and everything else um, the way we behave the way we are enraged what limits are to our rage for example so th- this is all part of, of community life and that's very important we cannot we cannot think I don't think we should abstract from that in any way we couldn't I mean, if we, if we want to abstract from that, this must, must be a mistake eventually. It's something about understanding, it's about persuasion, it's about concepts formation. I mean, so it's about philosophy of language, if you wish. So that's, that's the role of community for me. It's in a way more abstract. When I think politically about that, i mean this is already political of course but when when i want to to connect it to the political the, the the part of the political we were just discussing i'm thinking even about enlarging this notion of community i'm thinking about the international community i'm thinking about not being you know part just being being happy with your own family and friends and small community but understanding that we on this world, um, on earth actually, uh, are are part of a a large community and that we have to think about all all of us together and that includes animals as I hinted before. I mean, everyone, everything that is living um, on on our planet. Um, And I'm not referring at the moment only to the climate crisis, but of course, I am referring to this as well. So, so that, that's the political for me that, and, and its relation with the community. It is part of our understanding of what community is, but it also shattering the, the boundaries of the community in order to enlarge it more and more. Otherwise, I mean, otherwise, it's not a leftist politics. I mean, the leftist politics just, just pushes you outside your, the boundaries of your community. I we were just listening to the news just before, just before we started our conversation, and the, the, you, you're in the States, I'm not, I have my own problems here, but, <laughs> but, uh, but, about, uh, but about the problem of immigration now, I mean, in the southern border with, with Mexico, that was just on the news before I joined this conversation, and I think it's very clear uh, how we should not think, not limit ourselves to the American community or... You know, American in this sense, the United Statesian uh, uh, community, and and think about all those people carrying their babies and children in the water. You know, the those horrible picture that we just saw.
0: Yeah, uh, that we're human, humans first.
1: Yeah, well, animals and humans first. Yes, yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, and something that I I. I picking up from the way you're talking about this is that we, you you talk about your frustration with bracketing with, with abstracting. Um, and some of that, obviously, as you talk about your own, um, activism, you know, it's the, the way that they break off from application and from the calls to action, but it also seems that there's an epistemological part to this, that they are, you, you talk about bracketing off from rich data. Um, and so it it really seems to violate uh like it, it creates these inconsistencies that you know derrida would rip apart in deconstruction in their language because they they are avoiding certain pockets of inconvenient information
1: yeah yeah
0: okay so i i i, I am I'm good i'm tracking with you well, um,
1: yeah would you like me to give an example uh, an example yeah, discussed right. in the book uh so so I'm I'm writing a little bit about Martha Nussbaum, who's a cherished philosopher, American philosopher, and she's involved politically. She's very involved, and but her involvement does exactly the kind of bracketing. This is why I was reminded of this now exactly the kind of bracketing that you that you just mentioned. She has her heroes. As I do too, of course. Uh, but she, she, she has her heroes like Nelson Mandela. You know the regular liberal heroes: So uh, <laughs> Martin Luther King, Nelson Mandela, Gandhi. You know, you know this, <laughs> the trio, um, and and but but she's the liberal somehow, holy
0: trinity. Yeah, what? Oh, sorry. Sorry. The liberal holy trinity.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. The whole, yeah, 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 exactly yeah. the Holy Trinity. <laughs> yeah. Very good. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. but when she discusses them, and she does that at length, she somehow forgets, I mean she 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 turns a blind eye to to interesting data about information about those people. For example, the attachment, the the especially especially Martin Luther King and Mandela of course um, to the Communist Party and you know the, the all their economical economical attitudes I mean these are not only liberation fighters you know and it's not only civil rights or even human rights it's it goes much much deeper in both persons I, I, I should leave Gandhi aside because it, it's a more complicated example at the moment, but these two, and for Mandela, I can say, because it's later, for Mandela, I know for a fact that his support for, for the Palestinians was, you know, he, was unlimited. And actually he wrote that unless the Palestinians will be free, we, we will never be free, about you know, black persons in, in, in South Africa. And actually he meant everyone else. We, I mean, we too, <laughs> um, will never be free. And this is this this I call bracketing. I mean, it, it's so important. It's an essential feature. It's not you know like you know his his hate or or whatever how many children he has. It's it's not that kind of of information. It's very relevant to to his thought, but it's a, it's a bit inconvenient. And let's forget about it. And I think this is a very, very liberal move, you know, no liberal move, that bracketing those, those parts that are not convenient. And in many occasions, not in her case, I must say to her, you know, she's, she's good at that. Uh, but, uh, but in many cases, it has to do with cherishing non-violence. And well, we all like, we're against killing children, okay? so and we're against violence. But, but I think we should think about nonviolence seriously. And this principle of of you know, cherishing nonviolence and bringing again and again those the Holy Trinity as, as, um, as examples of nonviolent struggles are. are it's not helpful and it's not right. And as I said, I mean, she, she acknowledges, of course, uh, Mandela's turn to violence when he had no choice, when he discovered that he had no choice. But many people forget that. Now, when we see his sculptures everywhere, when he sees faces depicted everywhere, it's not the violent path that he had to take, that he had to take because nonviolence didn't pay. And, and, and this is, again, something that, that is usually bracketed. It's not convenient.
0: It's not comfortable, right? We take yeah. what's radical and we make it comfortable. Yeah, exactly. And uh, violence exactly. is never comfortable. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. And it's not comfortable to me as well. I mean, it's not something we should gladly adopt. I really don't think, yeah, let's go and just kill everyone. <laughs> <laughs> this is not the right way to go. But but I, I i also think that you know just speaking very nicely and complacently about nonviolence is is not helpful
0: right and, and i mean you know to take and i probably shouldn't wade into these waters like you said it's more complex but um uh gandhi's path towards nonviolence involved some very extreme measures on his part you know yeah. like hunger fasting yeah. like this is not um not easy not comfortable Um, but it, it's, yeah,
1: it's usually the people who support support those, those strikers, uh, that I'm complaining against rather than the people involved in it themselves.
0: Right. Um, which I could see why, you know, that would turn towards the academic community, uh, in, in many respects, this is a critique of that. Um. You you mentioned kind of uh, with Mandela that when he says, we will not be free, he's speaking that kind of universal human sense, right? And you've already referenced that. Um, At the beginning of your book, you talked about that move from Hebrew to English as a universalizing move, and you felt that was the time. What have you seen, how has uh, the reception changed? And you know, the the act of translation is uh, an act of sublation. Uh, what have you learned from the move into English in context and language, that sort of thing?
1: Yeah, I'm very happy about this question as well because because I was surprised that I found I found friends. You know, I found friends much <laughs> you know, yeah in a, in in a much wider neighborhood than, than i expected i i did expect people to like this book people whom i knew and whose philosophy i knew i mean close philosophers and and of course several activists who were up my alley but it came you know it reached a much wider audience and i am um, readership and that I, i'm surprised by you know the the just a couple of weeks ago, a mathematician from Paris wrote to me that he stumbled upon my my book and how wonderful it is and he' just quoting it from and so yes he's act politically active on the left, but he's a mathematician is not he's interested in philosophy but he's not a professional philosopher um and so so it's in a way a way of shattering the boundaries as i said before i mean the community is much much larger even in this respect. And and for me as a leftist, this is very good news. This is very good news. And another thing that I, I was happy to find out is that it, it goes both to the younger generation and the older one. I mean, it, people, people react to this book favorably from all ages. It's not my age, I'm 67 now, so it, you could say, you know, 60s people you know hippies or that that, that, that would be the kind of, of of audience philosophical and activist uh audience no it's even you know millennials and and, and really young persons i i get i i do um actually from by hebrew readers at the moment uh, but maybe this will change but but young hebrew readers i mean of 16 17 year old i mean In in high school, and they read the book and they say, wow, this changed the way we see things. And then they refuse to go to the army, which is another bonus that I I get. Uh,
0: One thing I did want to touch on, um, being conscious of your time, is uh, you talk uh, a good amount about religion and uh, the divine and um, kind of how the sacred plays throughout this. Uh, What role do you see um, uh, the sacred in this whole discussion for you?
1: Mm. Well, I'm writing about this idiom, the death of God. And what I think is, you know, since, since Nietzsche killed God for us, and actually what he said is or implied is that Kant, Killed God, and it it just took us the whole of the nineteenth century to realize that. Um, but so so let's let's move between Kant and Nietzsche. So God is dead. But my feeling is that although he's dead, and I think Nietzsche phrased that best, you know, we didn't really get the meaning of this. And Nietzsche talks about the light of the stars that it, it takes so many years to reach us, and we we, we didn't really get or grasp the, the the idea of being in a godless world, and so the sacred, and and the the, the, the transcendental, uh, like transcendental good or transcendental evil, or you know something that is you know magnified in a way, and goes beyond everything that we can, we can think of. I, I, I think it's, it's natural. I, I, I know it's mesmerizing. It's, but, but I think we should be aware when we, when we think about it. I, I think we should be aware and not just reduce it. I mean, just not saying, okay, this is a godless world. Nah, let's just be economical. <laughs> or let's just be, you know, materialist in in the wrong way. I am a materialist, as I said, I'm Marxist, so I, I must be, uh, I must be a materialist, but not a materialist in the way that you see no spirit. I mean, you see. So the sacred for me, or God for me, is just a warning, a warning about how to how to include it in a way. That will also serve me politically, or, or you know, n- not in an instrumental way. It sounds horrible now that I, I, I'm saying it. It's just <laughs> recruit, recruit God. So it's not, it's not. I'm drafting God, but but uh, it's just understanding we are in a godless world. But beware of. Of taking it in the wrong direction, in a very harsh direction, where, where we just face brute facts with no with no sensitivities to each other, and and so people who do this, who go along this way, are ethical, but we just said that you know I I'm comfortable with the those ethical persons as well. So I want another step. I mean, without God. But without ethics is is something pure, and something that replaces God, but with something that is much more, much richer, much, yeah, much more complicated, I would think, much, much more conscious, much more conscious, Mm -hmm. simply.
0: I, and I, I want to make I, I should have mentioned it before uh, that I I myself am a, a devout Christian. And that's just to, so that there's no sense of so that this conversation is genuine. Yeah. Right. Um, so that I'm not like sitting here like um, and, and as you, you talk about this, um, I do find even talking to materialists and I, I want to see if maybe we can bring back some of the themes you've been talking about is there's a materialism that brackets off rich data uh, in pursuit of being purely materialist, is that a way to to talk yeah, about what yeah, you think yeah. of as a- this
1: yeah this I, I think this is a very nice connection so first of all, a biographical comment um, my my supervisor and actually the the topic of my thesis my my doctoral thesis was Michael Dummett. he was a devout Catholic, and we were very, very close friends uh and i mean he's not he wasn't only a mentor but he was you know a mentor in the full sense of the of the world and and also a friend and his daughter is now a very good friend after he passed uh so so and he understood completely and she understands completely i mean though though you know we're coming from very different backgrounds but i think. It doesn't matter whether you define yourself as a Marxist, a materialist, or or or, or, or a Catholic, a Catholic. But this political sense that is that is common to us is is really important. So I'm here. I think I I, I would myself bracket, actually the 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 laden to too laden concepts of being religious or not, being Christian, being Jewish, being a believer or, or, or not, on the one hand, but refusing just the very shallow ethical, being ethical. I'm a person, I'm just sensitive to everyone. So, so that, that is something I, I also don't want. And I think there's a very, very strong common ground here. And the common ground is the common ground of activism. Is political activism before everything else. Michael Dummett was an activist. He was an, a, 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 spent years on political activism against racism for immigration, for example, in in, in England. Uh, he, he was a very pro-immigration activist. He and his wife was also Catholic, and and, and our friendship was based about this joint joint understanding through activism, through political activism, and then shared views based on that. So I think, I, I don't know whether it, it answers your question, but it aims to because I, I, no, it because I think, you know, it's not the holy or, you know, or the ceremonies that we do. They get their own content by what we, what we really do. And what we really do is what we really do politically. So, when he was a Christian or she was a Christian, his wife, Michael and Anne, damn it. and when I'm not, you know, religious in any way, and, but what we do is, takes its content and its significance from, from our joint political action, this is what matters, actually. And I don't think I, I I take it seriously. I don't think this is a materialist in a shallow way of, of 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 seeing materialism. I I do think there's something sacred about that. If you see what I mean, yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. There's something very um, how-
1: it it's important. It's important to me, and I don't think materialists can speak about importance in the same way. Maybe this is the word I was looking. It's significant. It's important.
0: Mm. Um, how do we avoid this kind of bracketing off of rich data? Um, is it, do you see that primarily as an intellectual ex- exercise? Um, obviously, you see activism playing that role. Are there certain rituals and practices that uh, uh, enrich us to be, uh, uh, to enrich our souls, maybe, so that we have the significance that avoids this, this bracketing? Is there, are there what, I think it what takes would you time. recommend for when that time
1: is something that we lack it takes time because mm. it needs it needs reading it needs listening like you know to, to your podcasts i mean it uh it requires time Uh and this is not something i can ask from anyone i mean most people don't have time uh so so this is a sort of privilege of, of the privilege, I mean, of academics, of people who do have more leisure, um, and this is why I think we, we, we understand or we can explain differences in political attitude regarding classes, difference in, in, in classes. There are classes who cannot afford uh, paying so much attention and, and, and taking so much time about being, being updated. So they get the information from, you know, very, very quick um click bites, you know. It just yeah. they read, oh, yeah. they, read uh, they read scatteringly and 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 that's bad, but that we understand it. I mean this is this is the reality. But if we want to overcome that, uh I think we should I, I mean education plays a large part here uh and and as you said i mean political activism on on, on 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 just causes but political activism is not again i don't want it to sound now it's alarming a little bit i don't want it to sound like a general principle itself political activism can have so many manifestations it's like unionizing i mean you just you, you just when you just belong to a union this is political activism enough I mean you, you understand something for that is you know you have interest in you it it, it pays you I mean it pays you in in both ways. Um and and, I, I, and I'm very much for it. I don't think that, you know interest, self-interest is something wrong. I think it's very good and important. People do act and should act from their first of all, from their own interest and then only then. Rather than principles and only then understand the principles that you know they can they can um, rely on or generalize so so unionizing is one thing uh, being involved in you know in your children's class or you know or, or just or, or helping immigrants as I said or something like that you know it may be tiny activities but but being involved in such things opens your world in a way that enriches you, and then I, I think once once it's starting, then reading comes along, and watching the right movies coming comes along, and listening to podcasts while you're cooking comes along, and and all that.
0: Um, and I, this is a, a clarification question. Um, when we yeah, you've mentioned a couple different things like. uh, uh, as these kind of little ways of political activism. And, uh, I'm trying to understand how the moral and political interact and whether, you know, when we talk about what does it mean for politics to be all the way down, when you are going down the side of the road and you see someone broken down, of course, this doesn't matter as much anymore with cell phones, but there was a time where, you know, (laughs) like this was a, this is a big deal. Or you see someone, uh, you know, trying to, um, let's say they're carrying something heavy and, uh, they're trying to get a door open and they're a stranger and you open the door for them. Do you see that as a moral thing? Um, or do you see that? Well, or, and, or political, how does the, is that thing political when you are doing that for that person?
1: Okay. I think, I think this is a tricky question because it it reduces the, the moral to those trivial incidents that you know everyone can do this and and you know even you know th- even fascists open the door for you know uh, for, for, <laughs> I, I, and I, 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 i'm not kidding actually i mean even fascists yeah, would, yeah, yeah. Would, would 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 help an elderly person to cross the road or you know or or Help them carrying something that is very heavy, and so we human, and we human also as fascists, or as you know, as as, as murderers, or as pilots bombing as Gaza. I mean, they they some of them are probably my neighbors, and they're very nice, and they help me, you know, collect the garbage or whatever. Uh, so, so this is why it's a wrong question in a way, and this is partly. Well, the, the, this is partly a reason I, I I find the moral discourse or the ethical discourse going along the wrong way, simply. Because it, it's, so, it's so inviting to think about these examples. But these are the wrong examples. I mean, you can't, because as, as I said, I mean, in the morning you can help this elderly woman and in the evening you go and bomb Gaza. and and And, and I think there is a connection here. I think there is a connection, it's not, it's not that It's not that these are, these are you know, two different worlds. It's you're helping this elderly woman, which helps you think of yourself as a moral person and then gives you the, the license to kill, or the license to be a fascist, or the license to, to, to bracket your own deeds and just focus on your very, very nice deeds in the morning. So, so this is why those those things are. I don't think they're helpful. I think, I think we should be aware of them. Um, but this doesn't mean that we shouldn't help. <laughs> and you know the, those. Okay. All
0: right.
1: yeah. Do you see what I mean? I mean. Um,
0: so those are moral uh, me, actions, try, but they're
1: me, just just a sec. Uh, let me try. Absolutely. Uh, just saying this is, you know entering the same room from another door. Um, sure. When I, at the end of the book, I'm writing about, okay, we, we've been through all this, and now let me just say it in another way. I say in the book, and I, I'm saying it now, it's not that the political surpasses the, the ethical. It's just when we think politically, the whole world, the whole distinction between the political and the moral should collapse. And and. When we see the moral through the political, the, the eyes of the political, we just understand things differ, differently. And this is what I was trying to, to, to uh, convey by giving this example about the, the morality of helping this elderly woman or something. So, of course, we need to help people. I mean, it's, it's, it's wrong not to help, but... but when you understand that after the, this, you, after you you're getting the wider and richer picture, that I think you, you you see the place of this in in the whole mechanism in the whole theory.
0: Would a, a way to think about this be that sometimes people talk about almost like balancing things out or canceling things out, uh, so that it's like if I do nine nice things, I can do the tenth. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Yeah, the tenth nasty thing, right? Yeah, or evil yeah, thing? Yeah,
1: exactly. So there, there is. I mean, we're, we're, we're human. I mean, we human. Right. We, <laughs> we care about our self image. We care about ourselves. Everyone cares about, even those who deny that. We care about our self image, and morality and, and our being ethical is part is a lo- has a large uh, part in our in our self image. Even if, again, we're cynical, and we say, "I don't care." I mean, I'm narcissistic. I'm egotistic. I mean, it, it, it's not true. I mean, even those people <laughs> who uh, uh, care about their their self image. So, so here comes the, the 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 thing that you just mentioned. I mean, yeah, I'll do these and these things. I I'm part of, you know, I collect money for the poor or something like that. But then. It's bracketed. It's it's not understanding the whole the whole thing. It's not understanding the mechanism. It's not understanding what you really are doing.
0: Mm. Well, Dr. Matar, just uh, absolute pleasure having you on today. Uh, if I could ask you um, before we uh, finish up, what is one takeaway? And this is often the hardest question I ask. But is what is one takeaway you would leave for our audience uh, as they think about your uh, episode this week?
1: Oh, it is. Most difficult question, and I didn't expect. Yeah, every time. (laughs) Well, first of all, thank you for having me here. Uh, What I uh, think about context, think about political context. This is what uh, uh, this is what about power relations. Don't delude yourself. It's so it's so easy to delude, and I do do it too. I mean, it's not as I said. I mean, we are all human. And we all compliment ourselves and we congratulate ourselves for what we do. So but just take one step back and just think from a leftist point of view. I and I think being leftist is what I'd like people to be.
0: That sounds uh that sounds like a whole different podcast, but what does it mean to be leftist? But we'll leave that for another time. I think people understand (laughs) by now. Yes. Yes, Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. Uh, Again, thank you for uh, coming on. It's been a real pleasure.
1: Thank you very, very much. Bye-bye.